Welcome to Black Hill. It begins in the evening, of course. The path is already deep in shadow, but beyond the trees the autumn sun still burns bright into the early evening, bathing the corn stubble. The evening breeze smells of sheep and gorse and carries the lightest breath of coming winter to the cheek. Fallen leaves whisper as they skitter to the fence. Lamplight from the keeper's cottage warms a window worth of evening. The door is locked, for all the difference it might make. Have you ever heard a wasp scratch wood? Ahead, the road turns sharply to the right. Down there leads to Glenbrook, but here on the turn there is a gate. Beyond, the gravel path curves against curiously displaced tropical fronds and leads on to the lodge. Here, another lamp, by a first-floor window striking out against the cooling murk of deep green evening. A figure sits at his desk, brushing the corner of an empty page under his finger. He's writing about music. He has covered melodic line, rhythm, counterpoint and cantus firmus, but his notes are merely academic. He only feels the struggle to calm the waters and gaze deeper when coming to approach the idea of musical texture. He's trying to articulate the moment at which the composer's concern is turned towards conjuring a medium into which the listener can plunge. This is not the same as being carried on a melodic line, or being hoodwinked by tear-jerking trickery in the harmonic interval, nor is it the product of being hypnotically hammered into trance by rhythm. Texture it seems to him, is all that remains. Yet it has no narrative element to keep it taut, no integral temporality to measure its impact. It can only define a space. It cannot tell you how to approach, or how to enter, or whether you are to feel welcome.
It follows that this space is negotiated initially by an alignment of rhythm, melody, texture along with the attendant triggers of nostalgia and longing, to which the listener, individually and privately, may or may not respond. The compositional enterprise is to manipulate the listener into a receptive state and transport them on a tide of longing towards the sweetest ache of human experience. Suitably prepared, the listener is plunged into a viscous medium of realised sound. Here, beyond self-control, beyond language, the listener hangs suspended within a manifestation of their own soul. Welcomed into an externalised realisation of the mind, etched and teased, moulded and unravelled within the pressures and vibrations of composed sound, the composer will take you there with kindness, because the composer needs you to want to go. Nothing engages under duress. The devil himself will not cross your threshold unless invited to do so. You must want to invite the devil into your own home. He rests back in the chair and stretches his throat. A manuscript page on the desk shows crotchets. It was the last thing he looked at as he bent his head backwards to look at the ceiling. He thinks of his listeners arranged along the side of a municipal pool, in swimwear, goggles, caps, preparing to plunge. He contrives the row to be a series of Egyptian hieroglyphs indicating a musical score. They are composing themselves into the score into which they must dive. The lenses of their goggles form a series of semi-briefs. The listeners plunge into the water and fragment in rolling shadows and sparks of light. In the way that all instruments dissolve into something greater through harmonic alignment and layering, it is the abstraction that assumes the sense of form. Let go, he whispers, feeling the strain of a stretched throat as his gaze softens somewhere shy of the blank ceiling. You remember the lamplight from the gamekeeper's cottage? Nearby the window is a Tess Rose, deep, bloody, red. The last breath of evening wind stirs the rose. Thorns tap at the glass, a rhythmic counterpoint to the devil's fingernails on the other side of the front door. Add the hush of leaves and the creak of the old tree by the gate, and we have our ensemble prologue broadcast underwater to slow swimmers. A bare mile down the hill to the village main street, there is an exhibition in the round table hall. In lieu of a poster, there is a coat centred in the middle of a sheet of paper. As Kay was going out, he noticed a dark portrait in a dim frame on the wall. Heavy curtains, thick with dust, claggy with must, block the windows of the main exhibition space. The only light 
comes from low-watt bulbs set into small lamps positioned on the floor in the corners of the room. Each casts a sepia arc against the walls, catching but not illuminating the framed works. The artist explains. Ever since I was a young child sleeping in the strange rooms of relatives, I have been most captured by paintings half seen in darkness. The colours muted to ash and soot, the woodlands impenetrable shadows, and the creatures dancing perhaps, devouring each other's necks. Hidden hands, conjoined torsos. Here are the simple mysteries contained in your workshop drawers when the light is snuffed. So, the work is contrived of shadows and veils, unrecoverable memories and loss, all to be viewed in the half-light. The paintings will be composed within your own imagination and will contain your own assemblage of ghosts, companions, demons and lovers. Rise like smoke from the witch's pot and contrived by your dreaming eyes. One has to wonder whether the artist is merely there to invite you through a doorway. Where did we conceive of this notion that the artist is one with an answer? All marks are abstract. We make the work ourselves from our experience of it. In a dank cottage in the shadow of Black Hill, she detects a tone of strategy attempting to overthrow her passage, and so she scrawls a thick line through her words. The artist can only assist you in something you yourself have decided, or think you have decided. Once you have responded to the tap of nails on wood, and opened the door as an invitation across the threshold. It took her an hour under a new moon to walk home, Digger Road, Limfoy, Kirkbray, Mungo's Well, Graveyard, Rise, Doorway. Whilst she walked, slowly, mindful of holes in the path and the ease with which she may slide sideways into gorse, she considered and confronted the architectures and narratives she had read into the dim and curious work. Night is a lonely world, as are desks and water glasses and guttering candles, and nobody hears a tune or reads a line from without, it is only the articulation within. When she sits to try and transfer her walking thoughts from her wayward mind through her pen to the page, she is hooked by a brief episode that had happened as she left the exhibition. 
A curious, very localised fog had gathered in the basin of the village main street, where it turned and gave on to the mill beds by the river. Three cloaked brothers, pursued by three cats, all silhouetted like shadow puppets, crossed the road some way ahead of her, murmuring their prayers. It seemed so little at the time, the brothers were often seen out at night measuring their prayers with their steps. However, now that she was seated by her open notebook, it seems to her that this scene was an animated manifestation of one of the exhibition works. Albert, I'm a cloud.